Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Pensions Expert podcast. As if pension schemes didn't have enough problems caused by the pandemic and the current economic crisis, the High Court delivered a new blow last Friday when it ruled that schemes will need to top up past pension transfers to former members that had guaranteed minimum pensions. This has been considered by some as a more significant judgment than the original Lloyd GMP ruling, and we expect trustees, administrators and pension professionals to have a Herculean task ahead as they go through 30 years of data, while pension lawyers, on the other hand, will see their billing increase exponentially. I'm Maria Espadinha, Deputy Editor at Pensions Expert, and joining me are Linda Whitney, partner at Aeon, and David Brooks, Technical Director at Broadstone. David, I would start by you because I did appropriate of your, um, you are the one that said this would be a Herculean task. So I'd start by you, so you can just describe why this is such a big deal for for everyone in, in DB schemes right now. Thank you for inviting me on again. We knew something like this was probably going to happen. So we knew that all schemes had to equalise their GMP. What the question was that the judge was asked really is who holds the, the baby in respect of who needs to sort out the GMP equalisation for transfers? Is it the transferring scheme that needs to sort it out or is it the receiving scheme that needs to sort it out? And he determined that the transferring scheme was the one that needs to fix the GMP equalisation problem, pay over the right amount of transfer value that should have been paid back at the time, add some for interest. But the interesting bit that probably surprised most was that he decided to go right back to 1990. So not ruling that there would be a six year limitation in the like he did in the previous judgment. He went back all the way to 1990. So that's where the Herculean, that's the right way of pronouncing it, bit comes in, in that going back 30 years is going to be a big challenge for lots of schemes. Um, and I think there'll be lots of administrators scratching their heads about how they're going to be able to actually do this. And Linda, I know you're not a lawyer, but is there an argument to go back 30 years instead of just going back six? Is it for justice for everyone? What seems to be the, the reason for this? So I think it was very much a case of the judge looking at the different statutes of limitation. So he looked at six years, he looked at 12 years and the whole period. Uh, and I think he just didn't find an argument for applying those those statutes of limitation. So I'm afraid we, we are stuck with 30 years uh, to look back over. Trustees have been asked to be proactive in looking at that period, but realistically, the practicalities and, and the data, the limitations that what may be possible are very much there. So we're going to have to work through both what is proactive, but also what's possible. And uh, David, I imagine this, who has this data? The administrators have this data now, or they're supposed to have this data. So it's going to fall back on them ultimately to find out where these people are and what money did they receive, what scheme they're at right now. It seems like it's a lot. Yeah, there are quite a few moving parts to this and there's sort of a few interested parties, I suppose. Primarily, yes, it will be the scheme that transferred. They'll be the ones first. We'll be looking at their data to see what they've got. And yeah, for some schemes, we're better than others. And what is interesting as well is that the receiving scheme, if it's a DB scheme, does already have the responsibility of correcting the GMP in the scheme that they've got. So they have a vested interest in finding the transferring scheme and getting the extra money coming in because they've already got the liability. They've already got the, the benefit they need to pay. They want the extra money. 
So between them, they may be actually be of an assistance, the transferring scheme, because the practice used to be, especially would have been, you know, in the early 90s would have been, oh, we've paid this transfer value out. This person's now called a no liability member or someone we don't have our liability anymore. We're, we're, we're struggling for floppy disk space. Well, let's delete that person. We don't need them anymore. But the receiving scheme, they'll have kept the record. So there might be some way of helping each other. So as an industry, I think we're going to be looking to help each other a bit with this because we'll have a lump of people for whom we, we know we've made a transfer for. But we'll also have some people, you know, the Donald Rumsfeld unknown unknowns, the people we didn't know we paid a transfer for. Anything we can get will be helpful. There's also another party in HMRC, and that we used to tell HMRC when we paid protected rights transfers. Now, they wouldn't have all the information, and HMRC haven't been particularly helpful during the, the sort of rectification, reconciliation process that we've been going through. But they have a role to play, and if they can help, I think they should. They've often said they can't because of data protection laws, but I think it would be helpful if they could give us anything they can to help do the right thing for everybody, because it's going to be a difficult task. So there'll be members out there that might be aware of what's going on and any information they have, pay slips, basically anything they've got but dating back to when they're a member of the scheme will be useful and may be needed. And uh, Linda, you said that we're going to have to resort back to what is possible. Do we need some kind of guidance as we had for GMP equalization on what possible remedies when you don't have data? So all across industry, all schemes are doing the same thing. Absolutely. I think there's definitely a role here, for example, for PASA to be helping people across the industry look at the best way to uh, manage this project. And it is a new work stream to the existing GMP equalisation project and, and does sit somewhat separate from it. Um, I don't know if we're going to come on to this later, but there are some exceptions that will help some schemes manage the scale of this, where there are some people they will not have to fix. Yeah, you can talk about them now because they're, they're also important. Yes, thanks for reminding me of that. So a couple of exceptions. Now, they, the judge here only tested things that Lloyd's had actually done. So there may be some other circumstances that just haven't been tested yet. But what the judge did say was where there had been mirror image bulk transfers, they would potentially be an exception that did not need to be fixed, that you'd taken them as a whole and they didn't go through the statutory cash equivalent transfer value, but also other non-statutory transfers. Now, for most schemes, individual transfers were almost all cash equivalent transfers, but there will be some schemes that had greater proportions of non-statutory transfers. I'm still hopeful, I'll be interested in a lawyer's view, but I'm still hopeful that, you know, some of the transfer clubs, uh, some of the industry-wide schemes, where they've moved their benefits from one to another and were given the full rights that there, we may not have to do all of that tracking. And I think we've talked about this before. Do we need further clarity from courts then on those kind of things? There may be some other types of bulk transfers, so non-mirror image ones that haven't been tested yet. Uh, whether people will go all the way to taking that to court or whether they'll just seek you know, legal advice or QC's advice, I, I think we'll have to wait and see on that one, how far people want to take it. And another thing that people are talking about is the impact on the sponsor, because when it was with GMP equalization, they had to record a profit and loss because they had to have extra money for that. Is that going to happen this time as well? Or companies are already stretched and some of them really 
really having problems due to COVID and pandemic. Um, how is that looking for them? When it comes to company accounting, this is another new chunk of liability. Our expectations is that company auditors will therefore expect this to go through the profit and loss account. Where it changes to an original estimate, there are arguments that it should go through through OCI rather than through profit and loss. But I think this, because it's another new chunk of liability, I'd be very surprised if company auditors are not pushing for it to go through the profit and loss account. Because of the timing of this judgment, so close to a lot of companies' year ends, that makes it very pressured to get that initial estimate of this amount calculated. So although it's going to be a very long process and we've already touched on how hard the data is to do right, you're going to have to do a very early approximate estimate for the companies put in their company accounts. And I know it will, dif- it will be different according to scheme and companies. But we're not talking as much higher values as we're talking with GMP equalization in a whole. It varies enormously. The schemes we've looked at so far, there are some that have very low rates of individual transfers where the amounts are trivial, all the way up to cases that are of a similar size to what they had in the original equalization ruling where they've had a lot of people leave the scheme. I mean, it's hard to say what it will be on average, but what I'm saying to clients at the moment is before we've done this estimate, if you're trying to give your FD an idea, maybe talk about it being of the order of half of the original amount. And is there any good positive news out of this judgment? I'm thinking that maybe now schemes know what they need to do about past transfers and they can just get on with it, in my maybe naive opinion. I don't think it's naive. No, I mean, I think yes. I mean, it's just another one of those things that we needed to know. We now know a bit more about the scope of the project. You know, administrators will be able to talk to clients with a bit more knowledge and a bit more authority about what we need to do. Because end of the day, you know, we've, we've got a, a techie geek and an, an actuary on, but it's the administrators that are going to be doing a, a lot of the looking through files, dusty ca- cabinets, microfiches, whatever you can get your hands on to look at the data. So there was also something else in the judgment that might be worth just just noting. There was, I suppose, good news in that sense that the judge did say, well, it's more what he didn't say. But I suppose when he was talking about if the receiving scheme doesn't exist, can't be traced or or can't take the money for whatever reason, that you can pay the money direct to the member from the scheme. So that's going to be useful for, for schemes to be able to sort of draw a line under this project and not be left with a liability they perhaps don't want or don't want to be paying anymore because they paid out the transfer 20 odd years ago or something like that. So that was useful. It may not work in all circumstances. We still don't know, you know, what will happen if the benefits are large, if the difference between the transfer value that should have been paid and was paid was large. But that was a, that was a, probably one of the more useful bits of the judgment for members. And you know, it, it is an interesting one because uh, since 2018, most transfer values will have been equalised anyway. So we're only, maybe it's not so bad. There's two years where, where perhaps we're okay. I mean, I think it's a very tricky area in that the recent past, you will have good data, you will know quite a lot about the member and their benefits. And the only thing is you're trying to track down someone who you last spoke to four years ago, five years ago, and have they moved house through to the data challenges of somebody who took a transfer 25 years ago, where if you're lucky, you've got one line that says this was their name and their NI number and their date of birth, and this was the date they took a transfer, and this was how much it was. 
but you may know you know nothing more than that and as david said earlier you may not even know that and then actually tracking and tracing enough information to be able to do anything sensible is going to be hard the thing that frightens me is if we're not proactive enough as an industry then we will get what i might describe as the ambulance chasers so somebody coming along and stirring up members to say have you made your claim and that's what i really want us to avoid so i i'm encouraging people to be proactive where they can even though it's hard work because otherwise we will all suffer as an industry if we do get that kind of ambulance chasing uh, uh, occurring and and on a positive oh, this discussion on a positive note can we expect after doing all this work and after doing all the GMP equalization work that pension schemes will be done with GMPs for good? There are other unanswered questions still kicking around GMP, maybe. I mean, we still don't really know about to do with people who've died. I mean, I'm still not quite sure what to do if you track someone down and they're dead, but I don't think we're ever going to be shot of it. The way I'd look at it is if you go down conversion and you decide to convert all members, not just those impacted by these rulings who have 90 to 97 benefits, then as a scheme, that is your best shot at getting rid of all GMP, anti-franking, later earnings edition, regulation 55, (laughs) all the horrors that go with GMP. But even then, nobody is going to have a perfect GMP equalisation project. As we've talked about today, there are so many gaps, particularly in the historic transfer data, that nobody is going to say you've definitely dealt with any everything and that there's no chance that someone could just come out of the woodwork and make a claim. I mean, that's the other thing. You were talking about bad news. And it, it is and what, what, one of my fears, the thing that sort of keeps me staring at the ceiling at, at night is you know, all those schemes we wound up in the past. I've done a few. You know, I'm sure Linda's done lots. You know, we thought we did it all. And now I'm not sure if, if we have, and I don't quite know, you know, I shouldn't say this, I suppose, but I don't really know quite know where we go from here with regards to schemes that thought they'd done everything, signed everything off and ridden off into the sunset. The sun may not have set quite yet. Uh, that's that's one of my fears as well, is how we resolve all those problems. On a more lighter note, we end our podcast with something we like to call always a pensions angle, which is a hashtag that David did initiate. So... I thought we'd go back to the origins and go back to him to bring us our story today. Thank you again. I did actually have a quite a pleasant morning going through the hashtag. There's quite a few I've missed in Twitter. It's quite good. So if you're on if you're on Twitter, do type in hashtag always a pensions angle. There's some funny stories in there of things that have a weird and wonderful angle to pensions because it does go into all sorts of areas of life. But the one I'm going to tell you about today is going back to 1998. And there was an article and the author was pretty anti-children. So for children, just like cigarettes or mobile phones, clearly impose a negative externality on people who are near them. Anybody who has suffered a 12-hour flight with a bawling baby in the row immediately ahead or a bored youngster viciously kicking their seat from behind will grasp this as quickly as they would love to grasp the youngster's neck. So quite strong words, obviously not very keen on children, that that person. He went on to say about having child-free zones. However, the following week, there was a response. Sir... You are wrong when you say that children are like cigarettes or mobile telephones. No one has to smoke or use a mobile phone, but everyone has to be a child. And you were once one too. You need children to pay for the pensions of miserable old people like you. Now pick on someone your own size. Yours, Jessica Morley, age six.
So I, I think if that's not a lesson for everyone who thinks that they're coming up to get their state pension, Jessica Morley is paying for your pension. So think about that. A very good story indeed. Thank you both, Linda and David, for being in our podcast today. And to our listeners, join us again in two weeks' time. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.